We gotta go to the bullpen. Welcome to the Highland Bullpen, the all-new podcast bringing America's pastime to Scotland's shores. It doesn't matter if you're a Hall of Famer heading for Cooperstown or you're fresh out of the minor leagues. This is the podcast for you. Hello listeners, wherever you are, and welcome to episode 3 of the Highland Bullpen Baseball Podcast. Now after Major League Baseball announced that they were going to shorten games to 7 innings and go for double headers, we've decided to take a leaf out of their book. From now on, the Highland Bullpen will come out twice weekly in a new, shorter format. We hope you'll love it. But don't worry, our new, shorter shows will continue to be packed with great content. In addition to the usual bases-loaded roundtable discussion and the ever-popular quiz, in this episode, Bullpen Bros Alan Carman, David Ince and David Skelton all have special points to make. Alan Carman reflects on a Detroit Tigers pitching record. David Ince looks back through the history books in the first of our The Old Ball Game sections. And David Skelton reveals his disappointment as the Field of Dreams game got cancelled. Now just as the best baseball umpires get the game moving along quickly, we've got our own Highland Bull pen show mascot, Hamish the Highland Bull. Every time you hear him bellow, you'll know it's time for the next section. On bases loaded for this episode, we're going to take a look at a very timely issue. As we record, tonight's game between the Detroit Tigers and the Cardinals has become the latest to fall victim to COVID-19. So guys, are we in danger of a stop-start 2020 MLB season? Uh, I think we are in danger. Uh, I really do. Uh, I've noticed uh, in the last week, I think the, the Football League had had a bit of an issue. Um, in terms of the old NFL, I think they had some real positive, <laughs> positive in the wrong way, uh, positive results coming back. Um, and again, from listening to uh, a few of the White Sox podcasts, there's, there's some real concern over getting this season finished. Not particularly when it comes to individuals either testing positive or, or worse still contracting it, but it, it seems to be that if you... How do you carry on if your entire club, uh, or if, if one, never mind two or three clubs, if one club is really brought to its knees uh, with this, I, I don't see how you can continue the season. You're just not going to be able to finish it off to any real positive extent at all. Um, if the authorities are really hell-bent on finishing this by the end of October, uh, as it seems to be, I think... The, sh- the schedule is already jam-packed. I just think it's going to be very hard. Should the you know the news in the last four or five hours, if that gets worse, I think teams are going to find it really really hard uh, to carry on the season. And I suppose ultimately as well, if we if we do get a, a season that has stopped start, and let's say we have a World Series winner by the end of October, challenging all that looks at the moment. But what if three or four of the leading contenders have been ruled out due to COVID? How worthy and genuine 
are the world champions going to be? If the Nationals, for example, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Astros, if these kind of teams potentially have been knocked out, not by the, the weaknesses of their team or the strengths of their opponents, but because too many of their associated players and staff have contracted COVID-19. What do you reckon, Alan? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, in football, so so this is a contagious virus uh, with, with fatal consequences. Um, so I think any conversation we have around, we're talking about sport, um, we're talking about the impact on the sport. So anything we say is not to uh, demean what actually is happening there. But um, at times, I think it's interesting that uh, in, in football and in baseball as well, some teams would be more adversely affected by injury in, in one season compared to other seasons. Um, so you have as a sports fan that in the back of your mind that yeah, sometimes you're, you're unlucky. The issue here is obviously it has the potential to sweep through um, the, the whole system. One of the things, um, there's a lot of different aspects in this. One of the things I heard the weekend say, what, what a lot of listeners might not realise is the minor leagues are effectively feeder teams uh, for the major leagues. So every major league team will have half a dozen minor league teams associated and they'll have minor league players all over the place. So, so whilst they've got a 60-man squad, I'm guessing effectively there's a few hundred players that they've got down there. And something I was reading was saying, well, you have this possibility that you end up with all these guys in the minors get, getting called up to a particular team, which is one way that allows that team then to continue. Um, how you keep it clean from coaching staff and otherwise who may or may not be, be, be affected. Of course, the issue there is you're then saying, if it happens to the Marlins, um, uh, do they then bring in their minor league squads and expose them to the same risk? And if you're one of the, the minor league players getting called up, that, that, that's a hell of a decision to actually say to somebody, um, here's your one shot at glory. Um, but actually it comes with potential health risks. So it, it's a political, it's a medical nightmare um fair play to the league for for trying to start because we all want to see sport um i I think i might have mentioned this before but i'm I'm sort of intrigued at at the extent of the outbreaks here because the english leagues have just managed to finish without really any significant impact um so that gives you hope um but of, of course that doesn't mean that's going to be replicated in, in, in Major League Baseball. It's a really good point, Alan. I wonder if part of it is just the sheer scale of our baseball club's operations in terms of the number of players, yep. coaching staff, etc., all under contract from the kind of the elite of that team right down to the, the minor league affiliations or whatever. It could just be a numbers game in terms of when you have that many people involved. There's a potential there that, that one or two can can infect a number of others. But David Ince, how do you think this could play out ultimately? Uh, is there, is there a, a nuclear option in terms of could we have a season that starts and never finishes? Is that a real possibility? 
Yeah, there's there's no doubt that um, having decided to do this, they will try their best to complete it. But I mean, it is incredibly serious. And as soon as you lift these sort of self self isolation, there is an inevitable risk, isn't there? You know, everywhere, and particularly in sport. You know, the games I've seen. It was very inconsistent what was going on. I think you yourself mentioned that some of them were wearing masks, some of them weren't. Some of them were sat three seats away from the teammate in the stands and uh, elsewhere the, the dugout was full. So I didn't quite follow that. I did, I did see that. No, there was no spitting allowed. <laughs> they were very definite about that. But I did see it. Actually, I did see, um, pretty sure I saw a picture chewing gone the other night, you know, and the, 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 this is getting a bit frivolous now, but they, they always use a lot of baseballs in a game, and I think there's something in the rules, you've got to um, provide a bag of 60 baseballs or something, while we're talking about them using, was it 24 dozen baseballs in a game, because they're only really using sort of one per pitch aren't they and uh, that sort of more than double or double what they would normally use I think that they will try their best to make this happen but if you get a team that just you know surely there must be a number of players in their 30 man roster and their first nine or whatever if you get beyond a certain number then it's going to be very unfair on that club. And you can't just say, well, okay, get rid of them. I mean, they've done something similar in the, in the, in the rugby league, the, you know, the Toronto Wolfpack. They are not able to fulfil their fixtures, understandably, because of travel and whatnot. And what they've decided to do is just expunge, if that's the right word, their record from the games that they already, I think they lost all the games, so it doesn't really make any difference. But would they be able to do that in baseball? Say, well, these teams are affected, they're out, will carry on and just expunge their record. Not sure that would sit very comfortably, but I think they would be committed to try and make this um, season, get through the season if they can. Just before we go to Dave Jr., it strikes me, Alan, surely the only sensible thing to do is just to call the World Series for the Tigers just now, given their, their current position. Yeah, I, I, did, I did a quick Google to see who Rob Manfred supported, because uh, I suspect he's been on the phone to Neil Doncaster and Peter <laughs> um, just checking how you finish the season early to, to maintain sporting integrity if uh, uh, of course such a thing is in such high demand in Scottish football. He's, he's a Yankees fan. Um, so he'll he'll be waiting for Yankees to uh, have have the mathematical best percentage and then then call the season. I'm guessing. Um, so I'm, I'm sure he's done that. But a couple of interesting points as well about um, Toronto Wolfpack, of course, that uh, the Toronto Blue Jays um, can't play in Toronto because there's the the quarantine issues over the border between Canada and the USA. So they're they're playing. Um, a, and, and that's in, indicative, I guess, of how, how different countries view, view each other's um, risk. Uh, the, the other things with Scottish football was St Mirren 
announced that they had nine players tested positive last week, and that's obviously a significant issue in terms of squad size for professional footballers. But what what I later learned was that I think all, maybe not, maybe all bar one, were false positives because they had got private tests, and then they all went for NHS tests, and the NHS tests said they were that they were negative. Um, so size is size is relevant in that case, and. Dave was talking about the possibility of, yeah, if you find nine players have the COVID, do you then say we stop the whole thing or we stop the team? But that, that's interesting because you, without again, without demeaning the fact that it's a serious illness, you, is it nine of your fringe players? Um, is, is it nine of your top players? If your top two pitchers have it, um, you, you don't want to carry on um, because that's a sporting issue for you so whether the teams have some sort of behind the scenes agreement as to what they will or won't do in the event of an outbreak um, because the way Scottish football handled it if, if you don't mind me saying it Richard was a mess uh, I'm sure uh, Partick Thistle fans particularly will, will, will agree with me on, on that then as well um, so, them, <laughs> so it's it's um, if they won't have been looking to Scottish football, but the way we handled it was shambolic, especially when you consider what the English leagues managed. Um, so Major League Baseball is such a high-profile world sport. Um, they have to have thought about the permutations as to what and when they will deal with it. Now, we're fast heading towards the seventh inning stretch, but we're going to have Dave Jr. close out our discussions about the opening series of the 2020 MLB season and the potential impact of this latest COVID-19 outbreak within the sport. I thought it was quite interesting. Again, last night, um, Lewis Robert had his first home run for the White Sox. And again, I thought it was really interesting when uh, one of the Chicago staff went hunting for the ball uh, in amongst... Uh, the seating, and they were saying his will be the the kind of first human hand to have touched that baseball, um, apart from the pitcher. And I just thought that's quite you know coming back to Dave's point about all the safety around even just the balls. Um, I thought that was quite an interesting little nugget when you think you know just nobody's touched these baseballs at all, and that's um, at that minuscule level of, of safety. I think it's really quite interesting the measures that are, that are being implemented just now. Thanks for that. Uh, Alan? Yeah, just a quick question because I assume when a Major League Baseball player hits their first home run, they never see the ball again because the fan yeah. will keep it. So was the point of the White Sox guy going into the, into the stands, the bleachers or whatever, um, to get it for the player? Will he be, I thought you were going to say, will he be one of the the first players to actually get his own first home yeah. run ball. Somebody yeah. got their first hit in the majors, didn't they? And he did signal to wanted the ball. one of the players to go get it for him. But I've seen them do that before when um, a player hits a home run, an important home run, and wants the ball. The fan will keep the ball, and then the player will advertise that he will give them a signed shirt or and I've seen it when I've been in America on trips I've seen it sort of get ramped up on a daily basis probably before social media but if it's that important the panel say 
yeah, I want a signed shirt and I want a tour of the stadium and first, you know, sort of dinner with you, you know, you know yeah, there's ways and means of them getting that. Following the first wave of COVID cancellations, Major League Baseball announced that games would now be played to seven innings instead of nine and that double headers would become the norm. Now, Alan Cameron's very own Detroit Tigers were involved in the first of these seven innings double headers, and history was made. Here's Alan to tell us more. Hi, Alan here. Exciting weekend watching the, the baseball with the Tigers. Sunday was the first double header seven innings game in Major League Baseball under the new protocols as the, the Reds were in Detroit. What we didn't expect when we sat down to watch that game was seeing some pitching records. So, Tyler Alexander. Uh, recorded nine straight strikeouts. That is a Major League Baseball record for a relief pitcher. Uh, It's actually also an American League record and Tigers record uh, for any pitcher. Uh, Former Tiger Doug Fister holding the American League record. One short of the Major League Baseball record, including the National League, which is held by a Mets player, I think Tom Seaver. Disappointingly, the Tigers lost both games in the doubleheader. Uh, An error from Nick Castellanos, previously off the Tigers, gave us three runs uh, in the first game. Those were the only runs recorded, with the Reds scoring four in both games. In just under a week's time, a unique Field of Dreams ball game was due to take place between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Chicago White Sox at the Iowa site where the legendary movie was filmed. Unfortunately, that's become another victim of the COVID-19 pandemic. Here's Dave Skelton to give us his thoughts on this latest development. Hi there, it's DJ here, just taking a couple of minutes to talk about what should have been the upcoming Field of Dreams game. So that was meant to be an MLB game between the Chicago White Sox, the mighty Chicago White Sox, the 2020 World Series champions in waiting White Sox, and the St. Louis Cardinals. However, uh, sadly the, the Cardinals have had quite a few positive Covid tests over the last few days uh, amongst the players and, and staff which uh, has caused them a whole lot of headaches uh, and the MLB as well so that game's been postponed it's actually it's uh, it was an idea I think first brought about in 2018 and the game was meant to take place between the White Sox and the Yankees in 2019 um, 2019 would have been uh, the 100 years anniversary of the Black Sox scandal in the World Series. Um, so it was quite fitting um, that it would have taken place. And I think, um, I believe there's a, an 8,000-seater stadium not too far from where the film uh, was set in Iowa. Um, uh, and again, fans would have missed out this year for the White Sox and the Cards. Um, so it's perhaps not bad that it will take place next year. Again, the the opponents are unnamed at this point, but it'll be great to actually see that unfold and see it take place. I believe that it would have been filmed, or sorry, shown across the States. So I think that'd be quite a spectacle. Um, so if they, they've got even more time to pull something that bit more special together, that'd be excellent. Uh, I'm led to believe also that it, it's the first MLB game to take place in Iowa, or it will be whenever it does. Uh, and again, I think it just shows a little bit that the even you know the last couple of years they've they've taken baseball to other countries, uh, coming across to London last year, 
Um, but it just shows that even in the States, if that's the first MLB game to take place in Iowa, uh, there's always new territories to explore. Um, just touching back on the, the 1919 White Sox scandal, there's actually another film, uh, Eight Men Out, which I watched recently uh, from, again, around about the same time period. I think it would be perhaps late 80s. Great, great cast. I'm sure like back and there's a lot of young faces in there. John Cusack, Charlie Sheen, Michael Rooker, uh, Fraser's dad, John Mahoney, Christopher Lloyd, Michael Lerner. Really, again, some, some top class names in there. And it's, again, perhaps a truer reflection on what happened at that point. So, again, it's a film I hadn't heard too much about. When I think about baseball, again, as a bit of a noob, the Field of Dreams always sticks out as, as the one from early childhood. Um, great family film. You don't need to know much about baseball, if anything, to enjoy it. Uh, but I plan over the next couple of weeks to, to sit my son down. Uh, he's never, I think he's caught snippets of the film, but it'll be good to watch that together. You know, there is a real father-son element to the to the film itself. Uh, again, having done a little bit of digging before watching it. I think the actor who played uh, Kevin Costner's dad, a gent by the name of Dwyer Brown, it's quite interesting. So he played um, Kevin Costner's dad in the film. So if you remember, he was a younger version of the dad and one of the players who never got to fulfil his dream, I think. And actually just the actor a couple of weeks before filming, he lost his own father. So again, there's quite a lot of uh, undercurrent there with that particular um, relationship. It's interesting to see, you know, after, I think that the film and those those moments between father and son, they are really quite touching. They must be some of the most important and poignant parts of the, of the film. Um, it was great when you're watching that as a, a father and son, just seeing father and son throwing a ball about and just spending some quality time but that must have left a real impact on on Dwyer uh, as I've kind of had a, a read tonight and it looks as if after the film took place and, and the response across the states and probably across the world uh, and based on what happened with his own father he, he travelled across the states and spoke to a lot of fans spoke to a lot of movie fans baseball fans and took their thoughts from the film and actually compiled it all into a book so I think that would be quite an interesting read and it's uh, unsurprisingly it's called uh, If You Build It uh, dot 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 and it's about fathers and the relationships with their sons um, so yeah it's, um, there's quite a lot quite a lot to unpack from the film again it, it may not be the smartest move reviewing a film 30 years after it's been released um, but again to, to to someone who's relatively new to baseball, like myself and my son, it'll be interesting to see how it holds up and what type of questions that poses 30 years later. So yes, although the, the 2020 version of that game won't be taking place, uh, it's still, it's, I think it's a great idea for the MLB to launch that and it, it must be a hell of a spectacle when it, whenever it does finally take place. And again, it'll be great because the 20. 20 World Series champs will be there to to defend themselves in 2021. Um, so yeah, it's, there's quite a lot there. Really looking forward to watching it. I'm sure there's a whole lot more nuggets about the film itself. 
Um, and again, it'll just be great to sit and watch that with my son and see exactly what he, he can take away from it. Other than, um, why is Darth Vader cutting about in a baseball field? As countless generations of baseball fans can attest, the timeless strains of take me out to the ball game can mean only one thing. It's the seventh inning stretch. And here in the Highland bullpen, that means it's time for the quiz. A glance at the scoreboard tells us that Alan Cameron leads the way with two runs, but myself and David Skelton are just one behind with one run apiece. So let's see, Alan, by virtue of being top top scorer, gets to be the leadoff hitter this week. So Dave and Swap, you got to pitch at Alan. Make it as fast as you like. Yeah, well, um, so this is effectively uh, the third inning, so um, you sort of uh, know the format now. So do you want to go for a single, a double, or a triple? I'm going to stick with my tied and tested format of starting with a single. Which club plays at home with, uh, sounds like a one song, isn't it? Tropicana Field. The Tropicana Field is the Tampa Bay Rays. Very good, yeah, you've got it. It's a hit. So you get the opportunity to take to either stay there or go for a home, Dave. Go for a triple. So a batter who at the season's end leads the league in the three major categories is said to win the triple crown. Quite a rare event, I think. So what would you say are the three categories that a batter must lead his league with in order to win the Triple Crown? It's a bit of a tough one, this, and it? It's, it's not done very often, if at all, really. Yeah, so um, one, the number of home runs. That's correct. Two, the batting average. Batting average is correct. The third one is the, I'm trying to remember what the acronym for it is, but it's the, it's got the P in it for on plate percentages. Oh, no, not quite. Are you thinking of the, the on base percentage? Yeah, for per plate appearances. Yeah, so it's not that, no. What no. fool? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It's, it's a tricky, it is a tricky one, but home runs is right. Batting average is right. There's one other thing which is quite important. Is, is Alan still getting a go at this? This isn't no. a double line episode this week. I don't want me to call it off. Well, I've been tagged out. Sorry, you've been tagged out. Yeah, so it's it was a tough one, but it's runs batted in. So uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. You, would, you would have to be ahead in home run. It's a pretty difficult thing to do, I think. The last player to do it might have been 1967, so that's how tough it is. If if I'm right, or Wikipedia is right, where I get all my information from, there's I mean, Carl Yastrzemski. Our listeners can tell us otherwise, but I'm sure you're... Yeah, looking. well, yeah, it, it could be that there's um, someone in the National League did it more recently. Carl Yastrzemski, or Yaz, and he was with the Boston Red Sox, and... Um, I think the San Francisco Giants outfielder, Mike Yastrzemski, easy for me to say, 
is um, is Carl's grandson. So. Next week, Dave, do you think you'd be able to email Alan his questions over the night before? <laughs> Just if he needs more time. Well, it was a tough one, and he, he you know, got two out of three. He probably should give him third base on that, but... Um, to be yeah. fair, Alan, you came very close there. I was very impressed. I almost felt it was like it was one of those ones where it looks like it's going over the fence, but the outfielder <laughs> just leaps up, grabs it, <laughs> grabs it back in. So near, but yet so far. Heartbreaking, really. Heartbreaking. Oh, Dave. Go on, then. Give us a double. A double. 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 Okay. Sounds like Alan when someone else is round there, Scouts. <laughs> Right, I'm just looking for... Okay, so film question. I think you mentioned films before and I'm hoping this might be a good topic for you. So, who starred... A pretty good film, this far unusual, but who starred in this 1984 baseball film, The Natural? Natural. And it's a very famous actor who took the part... Well, I mean, it's, it's, this is a bit of a tricky one as well, actually, I must admit. I'm probably being a bit of a film buff, you know, maybe. That's one mixed thing if you don't get it, Skills. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, duck out, I'm afraid. Robert Redford. And it's, it's, a, it's a good film, but it's an, it's an unusual storyline. Maybe if we do books and films reviews, I'll let we can... Uh, Talk about that at a different time. That, that was why I mentioned Sting there, Skilks. I was actually trying to be nice and giving you a help there because Robert Redford also starred in the Sting. Good one. Plus, I don't, I don't blame you for not thinking I'd be trying to help you either, Skilks, to be honest. <laughs> that, was like a, that was a fake out there. That was like a big curveball. <laughs> actually, it was Morgan Freeman. <laughs> uh, I'll go for it. A coward single, please. No, not, not at all, not at all. So which team play at City Field? And prior to that, they would have played at Shea Stadium where the Beatles had that great concert in the 60s. The New York Mets. Correct. You're on first base, my son. You might fancy going for a home or a triple? I'll go for a triple. From, uh, From the last question, it looks like you might be a film fan, a bit of a film fan. Let's uh, let's give you a, a film question then. So, in which 1992 film does Tom Hanks play the manager of a team of females, including Madonna? A League of Their Own. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Scored a run. Thanks for that, Hamish. So this week's quiz ended with me slowly rounding the bases and milking my run for all it was worth. But back in 1951, a rather more famous run was scored by a fellow Glaswegian, and here, in the first of an occasional series called The Old Ball Game, David Ince, our font of Major League knowledge, tells us more. I watched the opening game between the Yankees and Nationals on BT Sport the other night. In between innings, the commentators interviewed Commissioner Rob Manfred. Hot off the press was MLB's announcement about the 16-team post-season and how that would work. It does all sound genuinely very exciting, 
but it got me thinking back to one of baseball's golden ages, the 1950s, before expansion, before wildcards, before even baseball. I'm joking, of course, but it was even before divisional play came in. In fact, there were only 16 teams in all of Major League Baseball back then, eight in the National and eight in the American. The team finishing top of their respective leagues after 154 regular season games would win the pennant and the American and National League champions would contest the World Series. It was as simple as that. However, in 1951, the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Giants finished tied for first place in the National League with an identical record of 96 wins and 58 losses. This despite the Dodgers having at one point a 13 and a half game lead in August. Incredibly, the Giants won 37 of their last 44 games to tie things up with Brooklyn. The Dodgers were to suffer more heartache in the three-game playoff series against the Giants in perhaps baseball's most iconic moment. The first two games were tied, and such was the excitement generated. The deciding game was broadcast on radio all over America, and indeed to American troops on active duty in Korea. The Dodgers were looking good with a 4-2 lead going into the bottom of the ninth, but, dot, 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 spoiler alert, the Giants had one man out, but also had runners on second and third base, when Scott's born Bobby Thompson stepped up to the plate. He was born in Glasgow, so is rather special to us here at the Highland Bullpen. He was known as the Staten Island Scott. He stepped up to the plate and hit a walk-off, three-run winning homer, which became known as the shot heard around the world. So despite the simple format, the great game of baseball produced one of the best moments in its history, perhaps in all of sports history. Considerable effort has been made by all concerned to make this shortened season happen at all and there are some interesting rule changes to maybe spice things up a little. I wonder what we will all be talking about after baseball's 2020 season. And there you have it. That's the first of our new faster-paced 40-minute episodes in the books. Thanks for listening, guys and girls, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Delighted to say that the Highland Bullpen has also come to Apple Podcasts, and you'll shortly be able to find us on Spotify as well. In the meantime, stick with Podbean, have a fantastic week, and we'll speak soon.